case you haven't noticed, Doug's not here today. <laughs> I'm the fill-in guy. Um, how many of you all have been uh, or have a fear of elevators? Anybody have a fear of elevators? Really, it's, it's not a fear of elevators. It's getting stuck in the elevator, right, or dropping in an elevator, when I, uh, before I came to, to uh, Palestine, I was a police officer in Houston in the medical center. And we had this really tall building called the University Center Tower, the UCT building. And it's kind of old and it's about 25 stories. It is 25 stories tall. And uh, one afternoon, um, it, it seems like every week somebody would get stuck in, that ele- in one of the elevators that they have in this building. So it was pretty common. I've even been stuck in an elevator or two over the years. But one particular afternoon, I was working, and I got a call to go uh, help somebody that was stuck in an elevator on the 22nd floor of this building. And it was pretty common, so I get up there, and I'm waiting for the fire department because uh, they have some special key that then unlocks the outer doors, and they can free whoever's stuck in there. And so I get in there, up there, and I'm like, hey, just hold on. Fire department's coming, and they're, they're not freaking out or anything, so that was good. And then once we free whoever it was, I don't remember if it was a guy or a girl, Uh, I got into an elevator with the fire captain and about three other fire guys. And I don't know if it's the same here as it is in Houston, but we kind of have a working relationship, but we're not like really best of friends. We kind of resent each other. The fire department resents the police because we're kind of above the law. You know, we seem that way sometimes to people. And we don't really like the fire department because the fire department, they kind of act like they're above the law and they're not. They would blow stop through stoplights and turn on their sirens, like by the hospitals in the middle of the night, just classless stuff that I just didn't like the fire guys too well. Just being honest. And so you can imagine as we get into this elevator, it's me and the, the fire captain next to me. We're, we're up front and uh, there's the other fire guys behind us. And above the door is, uh, is the numbers. And I'm watching it from the 22nd floor. We're not really talking because that's just what we do. We're just looking at the numbers. And I'm watching it decrease, 22, 21. And we get to 13 and all of a sudden, we drop. Just completely drop. And I'm scared a little bit, you know, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty cool, calm and collected. You, if you know me, you know, I'm just easygoing. I don't think that the fire captain went to that same school of train of thought that I did. He was flipping out. He was cussing up a storm. Let me out of this elevator as we're going down. I mean, really, it says 13 floors, and we went down uh, pretty far, but it, it really goes pretty quick, so there's not a whole lot of time to think. But I'm pretty happy because there's guys that are smarter than I am that create elevators. And at the bottom of the elevator, below the basement level, is some sort of spring or a lock or something. So when you fall 14 and a half floors or 14 whatever floors, you hit the bottom and it's like, boom. And then the first thought is, I survived, right? It's, it's, can be a little scary. I, I kind of laughed, you know, but that's just who I am. I, I laughed. I thought it was kind of funny that, that the fire captain was freaking out so bad. And he was trying to get out that elevator so quick, like it was going to keep dropping or something. And we finally get the doors open and he's the first one out, has to climb up onto the basement level. And I tell you this story to say, that some people aren't fans of elevators, right? I, I'm going to make a bold statement here, and I'm going to say that I am a fan of elevators because I like what elevators do for me. Elevators are a convenience for me. 
it works for me, right? But I am not a fan of Jesus. Let's turn to John chapter 6, and I'll explain what I just boldly proclaimed here. In John chapter 6, Jesus has a large crowd that's following him, right? And it's if you look at, at John chapter 6, you see that it's over 5,000 people. I think that they're just counting the men when they're saying 5,000. So there's a lot of people there. And these people are hungry because it just happens to be Passover. So all these people are there and they're hungry. And Jesus says to his disciple, Philip, he says, hey, where can we get some bread? And he knows very well that they can't afford to buy bread for all these people. So the other disciple, Andrew, like there's just one other one, Andrew steps up and he says, uh, hey, you know what? There's a, there's a kid over there that brought his lunch and he just happens to have five barley loaves of bread and two fish. And so as you probably know the story, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty famous story. Jesus feeds the over 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish and then has leftovers. He says there's baskets of leftovers. That's pretty crazy. It's, it's a miracle, right? Jesus knows that feeding this huge crowd, that he's gained a lot of fans. He gained a crowd of people that were now going to be looking for their next meal. So after doing this, after teaching, he goes and he uh, takes some of his followers and they cross the Sea of Galilee. And then the next morning, the rest of the crowd gets together and they're like, where's Jesus at? So this is where we're going to pick up. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus knows that these people are not searching for him because they want to follow him. They just want more food. And I like Jesus, uh, or I, I like what Jesus says next to weed them out. This is verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Jesus basically says, you come here seeking free food, and I'm telling you that I'm the free food. Take it or leave it. And we find out at the end of the chapter that, that many of them turned around and left. That's crazy. Is it, is it not crazy to you that Jesus lets these people just walk away from him? That he just like watches them leave and he just, you know, maybe gives them a little wink or a wave or something. You know, I was like, oh, okay. Is it not crazy to you? I mean, is it, is it not crazy to you that, that Jesus is like, oh man, I shouldn't preach such a harsh message. What's with that? Is he not in there for the popularity? I guess not. Let's keep reading. Or let's, let's, let's keep going on. Today, we're going to discover what it means to really follow Jesus. We're going to discuss more about repentance than forgiveness, more about surrender than salvation, more about brokenness than happiness, and more about death than about life. In other words, today, I'm not going to be giving you any free food. If I were to ask you if you were a follower of Jesus, most of you wouldn't even have to think about it. You'd answer yes so quickly, you wouldn't even think twice. The reason you wouldn't think twice is because most of you fit into what I call the Bible Belt Christian. It's a group. I just made it up. Let's see if any of this fits. Uh, do you go to church? 
Are your parents or your grandparents Christian? Did you raise your hand uh, at the end of a sermon one time? Do you re- did you repeat a prayer after a preacher? Do you own three or more Bibles? Uh, has your name ever appeared in a church directory? Did you grow up going to VBS or, or church camp? Is your ringtone a worship song? Andrea Davis. <laughs> Have you ever worn witness wear? Have you ever kissed dating goodbye? Did you ban your kids from watching Harry Potter, but then encourage them to watch Lord of the Rings? Did you get a purpose-driven life in 40 days or less? Can you talk bad about people if you just preface the statement, bless their heart? Have you ever prayed for somebody's unspoken prayer request? Do any of those fit? So, yeah, pretty much. Probably a lot of those fit us, right? Sadly, many of us will answer that question of whether we're a follower of Jesus by answering these questions. That's sad. These verses, uh, these verses in Matthew chapter 7 get brought up a lot when you're talking to me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's some scary words in the Bible. I don't, I don't know if there's any scarier words in the whole entire Bible than that for Jesus to say to depart from me. I want to point out something. Jesus doesn't say a few he doesn't say some. He says many, many will say to me. And the, the, the hard part about all of that is the words that Jesus uses in this verse, in these verses, uh, the many will prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name. That's some, that's some crazy stuff right there. That's some, some big stuff. I don't know about you. Prophesying, casting out demons doing mighty works. That's some crazy big stuff. And Jesus picks those three above all other things because I'll be honest, that's, uh, I I don't know that I've cast out any demons. I don't have the gift of prophecy. I don't know about mighty works. And yet those are the people that Jesus is like, depart from me. In order to, uh, to answer the question of whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you have to have the DTR talk with him. You're like, what's DTR? Every, uh, every relationship has to have the DTR talk at some point, all right? DTR, define the relationship. Amanda and I had the DTR talk pretty early in our relationship. We, uh, we've known each other since 1990, and we went to the same church as kids, and then... Uh, Labor Day weekend of 2007, we, uh, we got back together where, you know, we kind of saw each other again and uh, things kind of took off. She was talking with my sister, who's a photographer there at Lake Jacksonville, and she asked Amanda, hey, are you interested in my little brother? And Amanda's like, oh, I don't know. He's kind of old. <laughs> and uh, yeah, cradle robber. Uh, and then she said, well, if you marry him, I'll do your pictures. And so Amanda jumped on that and she said, she was like, okay, I'll ask him to marry me. And, and so she asked me to marry her and I'm not stupid. So I say yes. And 
At this point, we probably had had maybe two full sentences in conversation in the past 17 years. Like, we really didn't know each other. We just knew of each other, pretty much. And uh, so I agreed to marry her. And so the rest of the day, we're with our friends and our family. And we're just kind of living up this big joke that we're getting married. And people would ask us, you know, when are you get married, when are you going to have kids, all that, all that sort of thing. And we just would go along with it. And we had fun. And we, we ended up talking during the day. And late that night, we, we kind of found out that maybe we weren't just joking. Maybe we kind of really were interested in each other. And so we spent the whole night talking and getting to know each other. And at one point in the crucial seven hours that we spent talking, Amanda looks deep into my eyes and she says, so are you going to be seeing anybody else? We're having the DTR talk. So if, if Jesus was here and he was wanting to have the DTR talk with you, it would probably look like this. You're sitting in a room, Jesus walks in and he's, uh, you know, it's him because he's got this alarmingly white robe that you're like, how do you get your white so white? And a blue sash. We forget about, you know, don't forget about the blue sash. He sits down next to you and he asks you to define the relationship. He wants to know how you feel about him. Are you seeing anybody else? Uh, is your relationship exclusive with him? Are you just a weekender? Are you ready to take it to the next level? Where's your commitment? Then Jesus would tell you what kind of relationship that he wanted. He wouldn't mince words. He would tell you outright what he defines as a relationship. And after that talk with Jesus, I think we'd all have a hard time trying to answer the question of whether we're a follower or not. Most of us would likely fall into a category of a fan. Here's a basic definition of a fan from the dictionary. It's pretty easy. An enthusiastic admirer. This is a guy that has the the Rangers bumper sticker on his car his jersey on his chest, never misses a game, but never has played on the field with the actual players. He cheers from a seat, but he never breaks a sweat, swinging a bat, and he knows all the players' stats, but he doesn't actually know the players personally. Loves to watch the game, but nothing's ever required of him. It doesn't cost him anything. He's just an enthusiastic admirer. Or maybe uh, it's uh, the girl that loves Kim Kardashian. Watches all their shows on, on E, reads all about her on Perez Hilton and People Magazine, uh, knows where Kim went to junior high, knows that her middle name is Noel, and that she has a really bad body odor that only Kanye West could love. But she doesn't know Kim personally. She doesn't have a relationship with Kim. She's merely an enthusiastic admirer. I think Jesus has a lot of fans these days, and our churches put all of our, our fans together in the cheering stadium for Jesus. Woo-hoo. But do they truly desire to follow him? They want to be close to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it actually costs them something. Fans often comp- confuse their admiration for devotion. They mistake their, de- their knowledge for Jesus, for intimate. Let me say that again. They mistake their knowledge of Jesus for intimacy with Jesus. Fans assume their good intentions make up their lack of faith. This leads me to my next question. Have you made a decision for Jesus or have you committed to Jesus? What's the difference? (laughs) 
And there is a difference. There shouldn't be, but there is. Many of you have made a decision to follow Jesus without making a commitment to follow him. Many of you have raised your hand in church or said the magic prayer, accepting Christ into your heart, but never made a commitment to actually follow him. He's looking for more than just mere words. He's looking for those words to be lived out in your life. If you don't make a commitment to follow him, you're nothing more than an enthusiastic admirer. If you look at the four gospels, uh, Jesus says, believe in me around five times. But he says, follow me around 20 times. They may be separate in this instance, but they, they're really connected. You can't follow without first believing, but you can't truly believe unless you follow. The problem with the way some of us came to believe in Jesus is that we're sold on the advertising. Have you ever been up late at night and seen some of those infomercials, the, the strong advertising? I know you have. Um, we even made one with the church. Watch this. Many of us came to believe in Jesus because we were sold in the advertising. How could you say no to the advertising when it doesn't cost you anything? Uh, it, doesn't cost, it doesn't cost anything at all. Many of us have heard the gospel like this. How would you like to live forever? Would you like to have your sins forgiven and receive a fresh start? Do you want to spend eternity in heaven instead of a hot hell? Maybe you heard the salesman say, do you want to be prosperous? Just name it and claim it. Sounds pretty good. And it doesn't cost you anything, so you signed up and became a fan. Seems like the salesman forgot to add in a really fast and low tone that there's no forgiveness without repentance, no salvation without surrender, and there's no life without death. And most of all, there's no believing without committing. 
In the Bible, we can read about a strict Jewish sect called the, the Pharisees. These guys knew a lot about the Bible. And they knew a lot about God. They were like the Eagle Scouts, the Timothy Award winners. You didn't want to play Bible trivia, trivia with them or, or Bibleopoly because they would just kill you in it. They knew uh, everything and they'd just throw it back in your face. They knew about God, but they didn't really know God. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus describes them this way. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This describes most Bible Belt Christians that I know. They, like the Pharisees, have given their minds to the study of God, but have never surrendered their hearts. This is what separates the fans from followers. It's the difference between knowledge and intimacy. Let's go back to the Bible and look at, at Luke chapter 7. Jesus has been invited over for dinner uh, to uh, one of the Pharisees named Simon. And uh, Jesus most likely got this invitation after teaching and uh, one of the, out of like a, uh, what is the word, uh, religious merit, one of the, the Pharisees, Simon, invites him over his, to his house thinking, you know, that it'll just make him look good, right? So Simon invites him in and uh, you would think that, that Jesus would have been the guest of honor. And we're going to read that, that he's not. It's, it's more of a, a sense of duty. You know, does that sound familiar? A sense of duty? Oh, oh, it's Sunday. I've got to go to church. There's a certain etiquette that, that comes with a dinner like this. For example, the customary greeting is to, to kiss your, uh, your guest. And if, if, if your guest is about this equal social rank, you'd kiss him on the cheek. And if he was of high, uh, uh, high honor, you'd, you'd kiss him on the hand. And if and another uh, rule of etiquette is, well, let me just say this. If you didn't kiss somebody, it would be like ignoring them. It'd be like giving them a cold shoulder, right? Another form of etiquette is washing the feet. It was mandatory for you to wash your feet before you eat a meal. And so if you were of high order, the, the person giving the meal would wash your feet for you or have a servant wash your feet. At, at least give you a, a bowl of water and a towel to wash your own feet. If you were a, a really special guest, they'd anoint your head with some sort of inexpensive olive oil. And uh, so you can, you can imagine that uh, Simon's supposed to be doing these things, and he doesn't. We're going to read about that here in a second. He doesn't do these things. It's almost like he's inviting them into his house for an all-out insult on Jesus. He's spent his whole life, Simon I'm talking about, spent his whole life studying God. He memorized the first five books of the Bible by the age of 12. By, uh, by the time he's uh, 15, he's memorized the whole entire Old Testament. And in that, there's 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah. And Simon doesn't even realize that the Messiah is sitting on his couch drinking a fresca. He's in his house and doesn't even know it. That's uh, the third question. Do you know about Jesus? Or do you really know Jesus? And it's easy for us to confuse these two. Fans often confuse knowledge for intimacy. I can see how we can confuse the two. Churches generally raise you up in knowledge from childhood to adulthood, from vacation Bible school to small group Bible studies. How many of us point in our morals as the proof of our relationship with Christ? When I was 18, I, I was back home in Arizona, and I was driving from a friend's house, Late at, 
well, early in the morning. It was like one o'clock in the morning. And I got pulled over. And I come from a, a long line of law enforcement officers. And I, too, became a police officer. So I'm respectful when he comes up to the car. And he uh, comes to the window and he sees my long hair. I had long, like, Hanson hair. And, uh, and he sees that I'm young and I guess decides to give me a hard time. And so he calls for backup. And when backup gets there, they pull me out of the vehicle. And I'm standing next to the second officer behind the vehicle. First officer goes back and he takes his flashlight and he's looking in my car, looking for something. And then he says, calls me over and says, how much have you had to drink? <laughs> and I kind of laugh a little bit and I'm like, I, I don't drink anything. I'm, I'm a Christian. I don't drink. I'm 18. So obviously I'm underage. And uh, he says, okay, but how much have you had to drink? And I'm like, nothing. And he goes, then what's this? And he points his flashlight at something behind my seat, the driver's seat. And so I'm like, what's what? So I look and, and he's pointing, what's that? What's that right there? And I pull out a Bible and, and I'm like, oh, did you mistake my Bible for alcohol? And I'm like, oh, here's another one. How about this? Another form of alcohol. And I pull out a third one. And at this point, he's just like, he's like, turns, leaves, walks away, just yells over his shoulder. Have a good night. Have a good, you know, you're free to go. As if, as if that was enough proof that, that I was a Christian. <laughs> Oh, man, sir, I, you know, had I seen the, the fish decal on your window, the heaven, yes, hell, no bumper sticker, I never would have pulled you over. <laughs> have a good night. No, it didn't happen. I mean, I would have loved to have told the guy like, hey, dude, I started a Bible, school, a Bible club in my school and led it for three and a half years while I was there. In a, sh- in a short few months, because I'm 18, I'm going off to college to Oral Roberts University that God's called me into ministry as if that's my intimacy with Christ. How many of us do that? We call the stuff that we do. That's our proof of our Christianity. It has nothing to do with our intimacy. I don't even know where I'm at now. That's such a good story. <clears throat> Let's go, uh, let's go back to Luke chapter 7, where the Pharisees knew all about Jesus, but didn't know Jesus. Luke tells us that while he's eating at the Pharisee's house, a woman shows up. And they're most likely eating in a courtyard somewhere. Uh, I mean, obviously it's at Simon's house, but a courtyard because she's able to listen in on the conversation. She's able to, to look in and, and uh, hear Jesus talking. And so she comes up to the table and we find in verse 37, we find out that she's a prostitute, a well-known prostitute in the village. So obviously, uh, she wouldn't have been invited to this Pharisee's house. And she would have been trying to steer clear of uh, all the, the, the judgmental eyes that are sitting in this courtyard. But she comes up to Jesus. And I, I don't know what it was that caused her to, to come up to Jesus. Maybe she heard his teaching earlier and... She was in the crowd and Jesus, you know, was able to make eye contact with her and she wanted to change her life just by that eye contact. I don't know what it was. It doesn't say what caused her to come up to this table, but whatever it was, it was enough. It was enough for her to go, I want that. I want to change my life. Let's read in verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, 
She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. In these days, women always wore their hair up. It was a very intimate thing to let your hair down. And if you were to let your hair down in front of another man that was not your husband, it was grounds for divorce. It was very, very intimate. And yet to the amazement of everyone sitting at the table, she just let it go. She used it to clean the feet of Jesus, a very, very intimate thing to do. With reckless abandonment, she just took her hair down. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. We'll skip to verse 44. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss your feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. In the end, the Pharisee, with all the knowledge, is the fan. And the prostitute that expressed her love, and Jesus said, loved much is shown to be the follower. Here's the question you need to ask yourself. Who am I in this story? When was the last time you had an intimate expression of love for Jesus? Where you loved much? When's the last time you poured yourself out to him? When's the last time your tears streamed down your face before him? When's the last time you expressed your love with reckless abandonment? I'm not asking you if you know Jesus or know all about him. That's really what I meant to say. Know about him. I'm asking if you really know him. Are you a fan? Or are you a follower? There's a difference. Let's pray. Father, Nothing's more challenging to me than having to search inside of me to to see whether I'm one of those people that that you describe in, in Matthew 7 where you tell many people that are doing all these things for you in your name to depart. I don't want to be one of the many I don't want to be <laughs> I don't want to be going through the wide the wide gate. I want to go through the narrow gate. And I don't know why you don't want to be popular. I don't get it. I don't understand why you don't want to be more popular. And I know sometimes we come to church and we're all Yahoo Jesus. 
but you want so much more from us. You want a relationship with us that goes beyond what our neighbors have. You don't want mere fans. You want sold out followers. I pray today that you get inside of everybody here, everybody listening on CD or iTunes. God messed their world up. Don't let them be one of those that turns away from you. Don't let them be like everybody else. God, help us to know what a true follower is and pave the way for us, God, because here we come. I ask you to bless everybody here, God. Bless them. Show them your love. Amen. Amen. Okay, here's what I want you guys to do. Uh, you have a registration card that uh, came with your, your listening guide. If you would, I'm not going to tell you what to write on the back of your card. But if you feel like you would like to share with me about this, tell me about fan or follower. Maybe God spoke something to you about being a follower. Maybe you just want to say, I'm a follower. Maybe you want to say, I'm a fan. But if you would, write something on the back of that. Tell me what you think. Um, I believe next week, Doug, Doug will be back here next week. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about some stuff. But then on June 3rd, uh, we're going we're gonna to follow this up. This not a fan. And uh, we're going to have a, a week two of this. So if you would, please come back the next two weeks. Uh, I want you to keep coming back, period. But uh, come back on June 3rd, and, and we're going to continue this about being a fan or a follower. It's, it's something that's deep inside of my heart. I know uh, some of my guys, Halib and, and Casey, we, uh, we do a Bible study with this every single week. And, uh, man, talk about challenging. And I just hope it's, it's been challenging for you as well.